0: Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing
1: gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ.
2: Morena, everyone yes uh, decimal currency came in in 1967 the 10th of july next year they used to say that was the jingle uh when uh, one shilling became 10 cents and uh you could still go to the movies for that as well so uh, yes Kempy and i are remembering those days um we've got a busy show this morning um, with brant of course your local john deere equipment supplier as uh, our major supporter our naming supporter and they've got 17 branches throughout uh, the north island um, we're going to be joining them actually at uh, the field days at uh, Mystery Creek. Looking forward to that, uh, doing the show from there, uh, meeting some good people and uh, some good clients as well. So uh, that's coming up in June. Uh, coming up this morning though, uh, we've got Stephen Alka, and I'm pleased to say that because Stephen Alka is a fantastic golfer. He's a fantastic Kiwi bloke as well, and he won yesterday um, uh, the Inspirity Invin- Invitational. Uh, that was in Houston, and he won for a very special reason—not just the paycheck. We'll hear about that from Stephen Alka. Uh, we've also got a stump smithy early this morning. Uh, Logan slotted it in around about 9:30, uh, just after 9:30. So that's an exciting time. And uh, what's more exciting about it is it's 150 bucks. That's cool. What a way to start your Tuesday. Uh, after 10 o'clock, we're going to be talking to Caleb Hatch and. Uh, Uh, One of the other great achievements yesterday was Scott McLaughlin uh, winning his fourth IndyCar race, uh, and that was at Alabama, so we'll be talking to Caleb Hatch about that. Tom Decent will come into the show about 10.30. Now, Tom is a Sydney Morning Herald reporter. He's been on the show before, um, but he's the the man that broke the story about Andy Marinos resigning as Rugby uh, Rugby Australia CEO just months out from the World Cup. What has prompted this? Has Tom got the, the reasons why? Um, is there a breakdown in communication relationships or is just someone offered him a massive carrot uh, to jump the fence? We shall see. Um, Ian Foster was uh, on uh, the run home yesterday, so we'll just uh, get a couple of clips from uh, what he had to say with Kirsty and uh, Angus. Uh, we'll also have some Ag Insights from araha around about 11.30 this morning. Um, and that'll get us through towards uh, Staffy and um, midday. So uh, hopefully uh, we can... Uh, provide you with some entertainment for the next three hours. I'm sure we can.
3: Sport is
2: our
0: religion. And here is Smithy's sermon.
2: Have you ever done anything like make a decision or put in a performance like your professional life depended on it? Probably Uh, we all have a range of jobs that possess that capability or have had those critical moments when it can go either way and the consequences may be dire. It was a time not long ago when Stephen Elker sweated on shots and cuts and checks every day of his professional life. They are long gone now thanks to a scintillating run of form on a newfound playground known as the Champions Tour and yesterday an extra emotional victory dedicated to his former caddy who sadly passed away earlier in the year. This is a good story from a very sorrowful one. And we often see them in sport, almost fateful at times, you know, that written in the stars effect that was in Houston, in front of a very select special band of supporters dressed in orange. It was classy and emphatic. Meanwhile, just three states across, in Alabama, another terrific Kiwi boy came good at his profession. Scott McLaughlin takes it a step further though, it's not just his professional life he puts at risk every twist and turn, it's the whole kit and caboodle. Now, not many of us make decisions to that degree. He and the legendary Scott Dixon and the rookie Marcus Armstrong do it week in, week out on their chosen playground, the IndyCar Championship. And I hasten to add, it is their chosen way. But again, like Elka, we fail to give them the due that they deserve. Why? Because they're not wearing black with a silver fern on it. And this is where I get in trouble. They're much more noteworthy for me and hard-earned on the world stage than any T20 or one-day international or sevens victory or individual test victory for that matter. God, they're even more noteworthy than a Warriors win. When, oh when, will us Kiwis give those Kiwis the respect and the recognition they fully deserve?
1: like maybe a pitching wedge or something just get it on the ground back in your stance get it running why not go in why not (laughs) yeah well Limey he got what we are talking about. <laughs> he's going to shoot a 66. He's going to shoot 31 on the incoming nine for the second year in a row, and he's going to beat Steve Stricker by four for the second year. Deja vu all over again. What a deal. A final round, 66, bogey free. Steven Alker has gone back-to-back here at the Woodlands and has won the Insperity Invitational.
2: And, you know, this one's for Sam. Incredibly important uh, win yesterday for Stephen Alka for a a number of reasons. Uh, Of course, he's a pro golfer. And, um, you know, titles are what they go after these days. Uh, But he won it um, also in conjuncture with a special occasion. And that was to remember his caddy, Sam Workman, who passed away earlier in the year. And uh, there was a good crowd, a good crowd, all dressed in orange there behind the 18th green. uh, Has he almost hold out from about a mile away. Uh, and then of course they were able to enjoy it all together it was special and even more special is that Stephen Alka has found some time this morning uh, to have a chat to us uh, about it Uh, morning Stephen
4: morning Smithy, how you doing good to be
2: on absolutely absolutely brilliant performance Uh, watched every uh, shot from uh, the back nine you shot uh, 31 on the back nine you won by four Um, and you were charged with a lot of emotion uh, in those uh, final couple of holes I'm sure yeah
4: absolutely so and what are you watching golf for i mean, you just have something better to do with your time smithy
2: surely so, <laughs> i watch uh, everything mate I, I watch a lot of golf and I, I watch a lot of Stephen elker i can tell you that there
4: you go it's all good well if, um, if you're watching me it's i'm doing all right but uh no it was a very emotional day and i think uh you know um it was um it was a it was a win for many occasions obviously i you know I, i'm trying to for, for for many reasons, trying to trying to defend the championship, you know, Sam's family and everything there um, was extra special, and then have my son on the bag as well. Um, so, yeah, there was a whole lot of lot of reasons to to want to win uh, yesterday, and uh, kind of a you know a bit of deja vu, as you said, um, finishing up the way I did and beat Stricker and, and and shoot 31 in the back. So, yeah, that that back nine's been pretty good to me at the Woodlands.
2: It is. It's a course that uh, kind of suits you. What is it about it you think that suits your game?
4: Well, it's you know, it's a good driving course. Uh, you've got to shape it both ways. Um, you know, I can, I can do that, and then it's a second shot golf course. You know, my own play's been been really good for for a couple of years. So, um, you know, the small portions in the greens they're they're narrow and they're they're long, and so if you want to have you know, good chances of birdies, you you got to be on your iron game. And uh, and and I was, certainly at times, especially on uh, on on Friday, the opening round. Um, you know, I had some cheap birdies. I had a lot of shots into, you know, three or four feet, and uh, they got me off to a good start for the tournament. So that's kind of what you need in these three days too, just to get that hot start and, and, you know, get yourself in a good position.
2: This is a good story, actually. Tell us about the Orange Brigade. Did you have any idea about them going into the last round?
4: Well, I I didn't to be honest. I, I knew we we're going to have a, a an amazing following. Um, you know, being only like three and a half hours from from Sam's hometown, so you know a lot of friends in Houston and San Antonio and Austin, and so they all come out. I don't know how many there were exactly. We got a massive photo at the end of the day, but um, there was a sea of orange, and obviously Astros are the the, the bright orange and. Um, I had I had no idea they were going to all going to come out in, in these these uh, workman number one uh, orange astro shirts and, and it was quite fitting just to to kind of see them just kind of flowing down the fairway you saw them up at the green and, and off the tee and um, it, it was it was pretty neat it was it was pretty special and, and really emotional I mean I already had to um, kind of gather my thoughts and and stay in the present to you know to um, stay focused on on trying to win the win the tournament.
2: When you first saw them, how did it how did it hit you? I mean, you know, you must have thought, hello, some Houston Astros fans here, and then you saw the number and the name on the back. How did that hit you?
4: Yeah. Yeah, no, it, it was incredible. Um, I, I didn't actually get... Because there were so many, though, it kind of all spread all over the place, the driving range and the putting green, and it would have been great to get a photo just all together. But we did get one at the very end. But... Um, just as I arrived at the golf course and to see them and you know a lot of them I knew anyway um so it it was it was great getting to chat you know with them before I teed off and 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 meet some some new folks I hadn't seen for a while so um yeah again it was just it was just an emotional day and and to have that support you know that doesn't happen every day so to to have that was was pretty special
2: yeah, and interestingly enough, the Astros got up for you yesterday as well, 4-3 over the Phillies. I kept I kept there an eye go. on that, so it was a good old go. day. now
4: they've been 50-50 at the moment, so they've got to get, the, get yeah. their A and the G.
2: Okay, right. Let's, uh, um, and Ben, Ben on the bag. Now, tell us about Ben's experience oh. as a caddy, because this is special too.
4: Yeah, well, pretty much zero, to be honest. Uh, this was his kind of first major you know competitive uh tournament he's he's been involved in and you know we've done some casual rounds and he's he's done first tee golf programs here in the valley but to actually be out there amongst it and and, and especially in the heat of the battle you know we're going trying to win a tournament down the stretch and um so it, it was a first for him and i think you know as the week went on he got better and, and less nervous and we we had a good weekend we, we chatted a bit more and um, he freed up a little bit and uh, I think really enjoyed the experience. So um, that was great father-son time. Uh, you, you, that's, that's hard to come by too, especially with him going off to, um, to university in, in Scotland in September.
2: Well, that might be a, the help out the pocket money anyway, I would imagine, Stephen. <laughs> yeah, uh, <that's> for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> You've got some fees to hey, pay, um, yes, brother, yeah. yeah. <laughs> hey, hey, here's uh, an interesting thing about this tour. You know, uh, it's becoming even more competitive. Uh, you came in, um, but there's a, other guys that sort have of come in and playing a lot more. The Strickers, the Harringtons. Mark Hensby won the other day. Richard Green's just joined the uh, tour as such. Yeah, you can see the demographic yeah. changing, which makes it tougher.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you've got some guys coming off the PGA Tour this year that um, I'm sure are looking forward to, to playing a little bit more out there. Uh, Stuart Sinks, one that comes to mind. Um, so, yeah, you've got these guys coming on. You're going to see you're going to see some more competition, lower scores. Um, you know, guys like Hensby and, and, and Greeny, a couple of Aussie guys, just stay competitive. You know, they've won on the PGA Tour, they've won in Europe. I mean, these guys can play. So... Um, yeah, there's going to be there's going to be some guys out in the Champions Tour going. Whoa, where, where have these guys come from? And and kind of wh- where I've come from, you know, the, the European Tour, um, just just staying competitive for, for a long time. So um, yeah, there's going to be some 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 new blood out there, and uh, yeah, just going to have to get better at every facet of the game just to just to win some events.
2: Oh, i thought it was quite um uh, interesting actually watching your relationship with uh with ernie else to uh, obviously as well uh, whether he knew what was going on I, I don't know but it seemed quite a special moment on the 18th green
4: yeah yeah i think so you know he, he realized what um what was in what was involved and, and 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 with the support i had for the day and um you know how you know what what sam meant to me and uh, what he meant to the tour as well um, in terms of the caddies and making friends and and um, You know I, even like last year they had with the World Series. I know they had a few dollars on the line for, um, for For who won the most games so and Sam obviously took some money off Ernie so yeah, there's there's a there's a connection there and, and um, I think Ernie appreciates, you know, what um, What the situation was and and um, and, and how special a moment it was, too, at the at the weekend, for, for sure.
2: So, Stephen, uh, let's look at uh, what's coming up now, because um, there's a fairly busy schedule, I would imagine, leading into a couple of majors coming up. Yes, yes.
4: Well, for me, uh, the regions in a couple of weeks uh, is our first uh, of the five majors on the Champions Tour. Um, I'm taking this week off, uh, the event in Atlanta, just to... Get a little bit of rest and, and some downtime before the big stretch. Um, I'm very fortunate. I'm playing the PGA um, the following week and Rochester, New York, as well as the Senior PGA the following week. So, I've got um, I got three majors all on in a row there. So, um, a big run. Uh, some you know some tough golf courses coming up, and, and and looking forward to it just to see you know how, how my game stacks up, and especially at, at Oak Hill. I mean. I um, I don't know the golf course, I've never played a PGA, so, you know, I'm going in there, kind of no expectations, just going kind to of, um, free it up and, and play my game and, and see what happens.
2: What about the, uh, you wouldn't know the the actual course in terms of its layout too well, but what about the dimensions of Oak Hill compared to, say, Woodlands? Woodlands
4: um yeah quite different i mean uh don and ross course I, I know they've done some changes there since they played the last senior pga and in the last pga before that so um you know i've i've got to know the uh director of golf there i've uh, been picking his brain a little bit and you know it the way he's talking is everything's kind of in front of you there's no tricks about the course you just got to drive it well and and you know, um, approach iron iron play's got to be good, and obviously have a good short game. Donald Ross courses are known for, you know, sloping off and and having some undulation. So it sounds like you're just got to do everything well. You know, be on top of your game, and um, and that's what I'm looking forward to. Just just you know, seeing what a, a, a PGA is all about.
2: You, you might have an opportunity, I think, to catch up with Ryan Fox. Uh, I'm pretty sure he's there as well.
4: Yeah, absolutely. He'll be there for sure, um, and and you know I know he's looking to uh, to p- perform well over here, and as he has been, you know he's, his Masters was a good debut. It was it was fantastic. And it was good to catch up with him there. I caught up with him very briefly and his family on uh, on the Wednesday walking around, and uh, yeah, he's seen in good spirits, and yeah, you know, he, he played great. Um, the, that golf course is is very demanding, and I, I thought he did amazingly well.
2: What does a Stephen Elker take the week off look like? I mean, how 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 many was it the whole week or what about Thursday? Will you go to a range or something? You just get a little itchy, just yeah. a little itchy about yeah, Thursday no, or Friday? No.
4: Yeah, I might do a little bit of short game work. Uh, I'm very fortunate. I got a putting green in the backyard. I can I can just spend some time out there and and do my thing. But normally now a week off after you know a couple of weeks I've had. Um, I'm, I'll look at Thursday, Friday before I start hitting some balls and um, doing some doing some proper work. Uh, I like to have a bit of time with the family. My, my daughter's got some uh, state uh, track meets this week, um, so that's a big deal for her. So I'm going to take those in and, and um, uh, egg her on and give us some su- support. So, yeah, I think just mainly that, those, that Friday, Saturday, Sunday would be Kind of preparation days for me, and then yeah, uh, you know, I'm getting older, smithy. I don't, I don't need to beat balls every day. It's getting hotter here in Arizona, so um, I, I kind of want to go in fresh and and uh, feel like I'm 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 ready to play some golf.
2: What well, what are you 52 now? I mean, you know, it's almost yeah, well, geriatric, I'm still 51, isn't it? 51, mate. Nearly 52.
4: <laughs> nearly 52. You gotta, yeah. Well. yeah, yeah, yeah you you've got to be careful, uh, you know, how, how, what you say when you get to, to, to in the 50s. So, But, um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm still still, uh, still enjoying being 51 and, and, and being one of the younger guys out there. But as I say, you've got these new guys coming on and you see they're mm. hitting it further and you kind of feel like, well, you're getting older as every week as these guys are
2: coming out and hitting it further. You're talking to a, cart, a guy that carts around Bridge Pass. So, um, look, <laughs> don't have to talk about Bridge old age <laughs> Don't talk about an old age to me. Hey, Stephen, um, rest assured, uh, when you're in contention, and you often are, there's a big audience on Monday mornings in New Zealand, I can promise you that. Uh, Congratulations on what you achieved yesterday. Um, It it just looks so special. The whole thing uh, just uh, turned out so brilliantly for you and and your fan club as well, and your son Ben. So um, all the best, mate. Going forward, uh, we shall be keeping a very close eye on everything you do. Thank you, sir. Thanks for your time.
4: Appreciate it. Thanks, Smitty. Good chance.
2: Yeah, any time mate, thank you, it would be great to hear from you Stephen Elker uh, over there um, just uh, taking a week off folks on the back of a fantastic performance, Uh, another big paycheck but uh, those don't matter to him uh, as much as they used to because it's about the titles, the wins and the satisfaction of uh, getting the job done and he is doing it on such a regular basis, he's now up to third on the Charles Schwab rankings, of course these are the ones he won last year he's player of the year, voted player of the year Um, and uh, it was such a special year and uh, all of a sudden he's back there again, uh, breathing down the neck of uh, Steve Stricker and David Toms, two fantastic golfers in their own right and he is right behind them It's 9.21 here on SENZ
0: Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts, and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa.
1: This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yeah, uh, text
2: numbers 8833. And uh, just on something I mentioned in the sermon, do you think we give those, uh, those individuals that have? Uh, engaging in sports overseas enough credit back here at home i've often seen you know about uh halberg time uh, people text in and make reference to the fact that scott dixon has never won it It's never been recognized by it and i, I just wonder double eight double three do we give them their due desserts um i uh, 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 really i mean they, they're playing on the world stage or driving on uh, in the world stage in a very very competitive environment and I, I, watched, uh, uh, I always use stuff as a bit of a gauge. There's an article um, about Stephen Elker's win and an article about Scott McLaughlin's win, and that's it. You know, but um, there's a bigger headline about the, the CEO of Australia rugby resigning. Um, there's a bigger headline about uh, Sean Stevenson uh, trying to make the all-black team and, and the all-black grade. And that kind of. And I just wondered to myself, really? Really? Are, are they de- that detached from us that we can uh, <coughs> we can... Ignore them. I don't think so. Huge game of football this morning. Huge game of football in uh, the EPL. Uh, salad dwellers, uh, Leicester and Everton, they drew 2 all. which means. Uh, and I can preempt this. Um, we got our multi up yesterday at nine dollars ninety-two. Nine dollars ninety-two. Astros beat the Phillies four-three, as we said to Stephen Elker. Royal Challengers beat uh, Lucknow Super Giants uh, in the cricket. And Leicester and Everton to draw at $3.40. Significance of that, is that uh, both that in, they're still in relegation worries, both in, in relegation zones. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, so it's not as if it was uh, fantastic. And it was an interesting game of football. Uh, Leicester had uh, a penalty saved, uh, which was huge in the context of it. And also, of course,. Uh, uh, you know there were many many chances they're just not you know the, the reason why they're down at the bottom of the table is they haven't got great finishes in either team and uh, they they squandered many opportunities uh what a story with Stephen alka he's on fire yet again with some emotion too i wonder his son, son's name was anything to do with the great ben hogan don't know ask him next time uh, jared but thanks very much for your text uh neil has said uh, thank you for having Stephen alka on it was special to watch steve with his son yesterday I had the pleasure in meeting and uh, talking with him on a number of occasions at the New Zealand Open this year. He's a thorough gentleman, extremely modest to the point of shyness, a fabulous ambassador for New Zealand. Not wrong. Absolutely not wrong, Neil. Uh, very proud New Zealander as well. Um, I, and I just hope that the pride is a two-way street. We, we should be proud. We should be proud of those guys. Um, and, you know, and Scott McLaughlin yesterday, we've had his father on and a uh, terrific guy we've had Scott McLaughlin on, actually. When he first got set up hadn't had a win, uh, but was just getting set up over there and there's a heck of a good interview with a lovely young guy and since then of course he's uh, gone on to win four indy events he was rookie of the year last year do we recognize him in the right way i don't think so uh maybe that's just me it's uh 9 29 maybe it's you as well i'd love to hear from you at 8 uh, we're going to play Stump Smithy now actually uh, it's a little bit early so I'll give it a little bit more time to ring up 0800 150 811 0800 150 811 is the phone number uh, Brian is waiting for your calls might have caught a few of you by, of you by surprise some people might have thought ah, we'll tune in about uh, 11.30 this morning and get involved but no earlier today your chance to win 150 bucks so uh, get on the blower and uh, meanwhile we'll be listening to Aroha with our 9.30 update
5: Ian Smith's had a good match
6: here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. All right, it's 9.32 here on SNCN mornings with Ian Smith and two hours early for Stumped by Smithy, where Smithy, we are playing for a $150 TAB bonus bet. That's three times 50 bonus bet vouchers from our friends at the TAB. All because, once again, you're on a roll, mate.
2: Yeah, a little bit uh, like uh, Stephen Elker, and I'm on a, on a nice little <laughs> roll, so I'd like to keep it. It won't, it won't get up to 660,000, which he won yesterday, but it might get up to 200 today. Uh, who's li- Who have we got in line today?
6: First of all, I love how you said to uh, Stephen Elker, don't talk to him, uh, don't talk to you about old age. Uh, great interview. If you missed it just before, go check it out on the, the podcast platforms. It's already up. But first at the crease, we're going to Pukukukoi. Barry, come in, mate.
7: G'day,
6: guys. How are you doing? G'day.
2: Barry, how's the counties region? All right?
8: Yeah, still rocking and rolling up here, Smithy.
6: Good on you, man. Rightio, let's get into it. Uh, what are the subjects for Barry today? All right. Well, firstly, this is how the game works. If you're listening at home and haven't played before, we do always encourage new uh, contestants. We have three categories to choose from today. If you get a question wrong, it's over to Smithy for a chance to knock your bales off get out within those first two questions and it's on to the next caller in line we do have three waiting get dismissed on the final question and we jackpot to 200 tomorrow now Barry the categories for you to choose from today are super rugby major league baseball and golf take your pick um
2: we'll go major league baseball oh
6: yes all right finally let's go <laughs> did say the other day don't be daunted by these topics because uh, Brian sometimes does like to go a little easier uh, first question for you Barry who won the 2022 World Series
7: oh um
6: if you don't know uh, it I know Smithy knows it
2: yeah I was it the Nationales
6: one of the worst things I
5: have ever seen done
6: on a cricket field. Yep, but was not Washington. Smithy, over to you.
2: Yeah, it's the Houston Astros. We've talked about them already this morning. So, um, yeah, uh, they won it. I think they won it 4-2 uh, last year. So, um, yes, the Houston Astros for me.
6: Just a couple of chips down the wicket. Right in the slot, under away it goes. Yeah, hey, unlucky barrier. Winner isn't coming from Pukekohe today. Havelock North still holding strong. But we go to Ashburton, and, and it's Jeff coming, mate. How you doing?
2: not good hearing him choose baseball anyway <laughs> <laughs> I'd rather go for the rugby
6: well there's there's always tomorrow but we'll see how you go mate uh, second question what team sits bottom of the entire league with just six wins and 23 losses uh, well
7: Jesus no idea yeah <laughs> yeah um,
2: Astros. One
5: of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field.
6: To be fair, it's not a bad guess, because sometimes when a team wins the championship, the next year they struggle. Uh, I mean, different sport, but look at the NFL and the LA Rams. But, Smithy, you got a chance here for another stumping.
2: No, I've got no idea, I have got no idea who who's at bottom overall. I had a look at the, uh, we had a baseball interview the other day, so I had a, a look at a number of uh, the conferences, but more, or more to, uh, to the fact that I was um, looking at who was leading them as opposed to who was last overall. I'm going to take a real punt here and go someone like the Florida Marlins.
5: One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field.
6: It is the Oakland A's. Would you believe it? The A's? Were they the subject of um, money pool? Yes.
2: Yeah, they were. Right. Okay.
6: All right. Well, uh, our third call has actually dropped off the line. So, Jeff, what that does mean, it's going to give you an extra life. <laughs> with well, the Jeff- okay, Jeff's-, Thank you. Jeff's-, Jeff's through anyway, because I must... Yeah, that's true. Sorry. <laughs> Guy, you've been on you've been doing this show for over uh, a year it's Logan, you should know what you're doing. All right, last question for you, Jeff. $150 TAB bonus a bit up for grabs here. The American League East. That's the that's the conference I follow. Uh is one of the tougher divisions in Major League Baseball. Can you name the team currently leading that group? <sighs> No, no. Oh, yeah. <laughs> east is a clue. I'll tell you that. There's sort of like on, on on the east coast somewhere. On the east coast of the USA. Uh
7: LA. One of the worst things I have ever seen
5: done on a cricket field.
6: Um yeah, I'm not even gonna point that out. Uh, oh, Smithy oh, over no, to you. <laughs>
2: Well, <laughs> the American League the, the East is East is New York, isn't it? It's the side of that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that you're looking at the Yankees, you're looking at the Red Sox. Um, but I, I don't know if it's still the case. And I'll be perfectly honest with you, I don't know if it's still the case. But uh, Tampa Bay had the Tampa Bay Rays had a hell of a start to the season. They really did. Uh, I'm not quite sure if they've carried it on. At one stage, there I think they'd won eight or nine straight. So um, I'll go. I'll go the Tampa Bay Rays, and I I, I I say that because I'm a bit nervous, always nervous about the Yankees and the Red Sox, and I think they're in the same league, but I'll take Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay Rays.
6: Oh, Smithy. just a couple of chips. now want to make it right in the slot, and away it goes. Yep, we're jackpotting to $200 tomorrow. Tampa Bay Rays are top of the American League East with 23-6. Baltimore are second. Three point five games behind them. Toronto a third four point five. This is a very stacked division. Unlucky, Jeff, but thank you for playing.
2: Yeah. Jeff, uh, yeah, um, I, I I can tell um baseball not huge down there in Ashburton, so I, I would be uh, I would be suspecting you wanted a bit of rugby or a bit of a league or something of that nature, but Um, yeah, just um, as I said, we did interviews the other day and and I started to look at the top of the conferences and uh, at that point uh, I studied Tampa Bay in a very strong conference, very strong isn't it, you know, you look at the Rays would you say, um, the Orioles Baltimore Orioles who somebody we've interviewed somebody this year uh, whose home team is the Baltimore Orioles with the Blue Jays, which is your team Logan and then of course the old rivals the Red Sox and the Yankees, so that is a that's a hell of a strong um, uh, division to be in. So, And the Yankees uh, are Yankees, um, not going as well as I thought, no. OK, right. Uh, so it's coming up to uh, 9.40 here on SENZ. We'll be back shortly.
1: Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in our Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ.
0: You got to know when to hold know
9: when. Smithy's multi. Know when to walk away
1: and know when to run.
3: Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today.
2: Well, yes, just repeating the good news from yesterday, and I wouldn't blame you if you didn't uh, follow my multis because my uh, strike rate is pretty poor. But if you did yesterday, you got a good one because uh, Leicester and Everton did draw this morning in a crucial EPL match at three dollars forty. The Astros did beat the Phillies 4-3 um, yesterday, so that was $1.64. And the Royal Challengers, Bangalore, uh, did beat the Lucknow Super Giants in the IPL at $1.78. Uh, so that was a $9.92 return uh, really nicely. We're not going to go that big and bold today, but uh, we're going to go uh, across the board a wee bit. Uh, the Nuggets uh, to beat the Suns at $1.51. Denver Nuggets uh, to beat the Phoenix Suns. Um, yeah, $1.51. Uh, Astros again. I'm going to show my faith in the Astros because uh, with Stephen Elker, etc., it's the time of the Astros uh, to beat the uh, San Francisco Giants. That's at a dollar forty nine. And uh, tomorrow morning, early, Arsenal very key match for Arsenal. Uh, they're playing Chelsea. Not such a big match for Chelsea, but for Arsenal to stay on and at least put some pressure back on Manchester City, they simply have to win, and I believe that they will do at a dollar sixty two. So three dollars sixty four. That is uh, the multi for today. Um, Yeah, uh, uh, as I said before, double eight double three is our uh, text number. Um, Who overseas do you think um, performs well to the extent that we should give them more credit? Uh, Stephen Adams gets a a fair amount of credit. We've got um, a number of players playing football overseas. We've got a number of players playing rugby overseas, rugby union overseas, league players playing over there. Uh, golfers uh, on the uh, overseas stage, Lydia Ko gets a fair amount doesn't she when she plays well uh, we're all over to Lydia Ko, she's one um, female Person of the year on uh, more than um, one occasion I believe and uh, she is uh, simply superb but um, we don't seem to give um, our other players, I mean Ryan Fox has had fantastic years on the DP World Tour, do we give those uh, people um, the credit that they deserve, who, who do we ignore uh, you might have someone who's in uh, no super bikes or uh, uh, motocross or something of that nature that you know we don't give the right credit to who overseas are much much bigger than they are at home I go back to the, the days gone by even um, I, I thought for a long period of time Richard Hadley was much more respected in England than he ever was in New Zealand uh, English people absolutely adored Richard Hadley with his record in county cricket admired him when he went over there as an international cricketer as well I think we, at times we are talking for granted over here. It was just like, well, so he we should. He's Richard Hadley. Uh, but, you know, I, I tend to think that you get away from home, you're a little quite easily forgotten. Um, and um, in the old days when coverage wasn't as good as it is today, I mean, you just can't, back in the day, you couldn't turn on the telly and watch uh, Stephen Elker come down the straight and win a, a tournament like that because uh, it just didn't happen. We didn't have the facility for that to happen um we didn't expect it to come on by telegram or anything but you know we, we just weren't able weren't able to see it to the extent that we are now so many of our overseas sporting people um, are on show and I'll give you a classic example the America's Cup coming up I mean how much we're we hearing about that the America's Cup if it was in New Zealand shores it would be all over the joint all over the joint 948 here on SENZ
0: Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in
1: Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yeah,
2: Texter coming in to say, you're 100% right Uh, with Sir Richard, I went for a tour of lords and the tour guy wouldn't stop talking about him, he loved him more than any Kiwi I've met. So um, yeah, that's a classic example of what we're just talking about. Uh, one of the other concerning things is, um, and Ian Anderson's written a, a pretty interesting article this morning about the inactivity of some of our key cricketers at this point because they are tied up uh, with the IPL. So Devon Conway, uh, absolute standout at the moment, he's had nine innings and uh, I think he's third on the list overall of uh, runs scored and he's right up there with uh, performing almost uh, every match. Mitchell Santner, regarded as one of the best white ball spinners um, in the world, has so far in the IPL played just three games. Just three games. Um, so that is of concern. Lockie Ferguson has had three games. Tim Southey has had two games. Trent Bolt, well, he's a given uh, in terms of um, the, the IPL, but is he a given for New Zealand? Uh, we don't know whether Trent Bolt, what movie he'll be in, what his body will be like uh, come September of October. Um, we'd dearly like him to be available for us but if he's got a niggle or two and he wants to spend some more time with the family that's why he's, he's set his life up the way that he has so he can pick and choose um, uh, let's hope he chooses us because if, we, if he doesn't that uh, puts a, a real spanner in the works what about this guy Finn Allen, remember him? Finn Allen who uh, is the one that took place uh, of uh, Martin Guptill and um, is um, um, undeniably um, the one they want to be successful that's Gary Stead Gavin Larson, before he departed, that was all about Finn Allen. We know that at the top of the order. Hasn't played a game yet for the Royal Challengers Bangalore. Michael Bracewell has had two games. Glenn Phillips has had one game. Now, Glenn Phillips is a key part of uh, the World Cup going forward. Would he not be better served? Surely. Surely would he not be better served being bought out of his minimal contract at the IPL and uh, taken to play five games of uh, T20 and five one-day internationals in Pakistan. Would that not be? I mean, Ken Phillips has got to be part of the mix, doesn't he? Got to be part of the mix. Uh, So uh, the fact of the matter is they're just not getting any cricket. It's like they've got two to three or six to seven weeks off at a crucial stage in the development of our team going through to the World Cup. So uh, interesting article that uh, on stuff. Uh, Logan, got some stuff for us?
6: Speaking of staff. Yeah, <laughs> I do. Uh, not from staff, from SCNZ yesterday. Uh, Ryan Fox was in the studio for over an hour, just very generous with his time, answering uh, questions from our, our listeners. And, you know, there's been one topic, I think, in particular, that's been on the mind of a lot of uh, followers of the PGA Tour recently, and that is the pace of play. Matt's, uh, Matt Fitzpatrick is a great exponent of it and how fast he likes to play. But there's others that are a lot slower. So what does Foxy think about it?
2: There's been a lot of talk about slow play, a la Patrick Cantlay. But you, Foxy, you like to play quickly. How do you cope with playing someone that's slow, Gerard? You just get used to it, to be honest. And it's switch on, switch off.
5: I mean, you don't get round tour golf in threes in under four and a half hours.
4: It's crazy, eh?
5: Well, there's a little bit of A lot of the courses we play also aren't designed to walk. You know how we play a bunch of courses that you play in a golf cart every day of the week, yeah? and all of a sudden you're asked to walk them, and they've got a couple of hundred yard walks between green and tee. Mm. So that you know that adds to the time it takes to play around. So there's there there is a lot of that, but there is some guys that are painfully slow, and to be honest, there's no real good way of dealing with it. You just unfortunately get used to it. You just turn off. Just turn off. Talk crap. Do your early prep. Yep. <clears throat> And then when it's just be good at switching on when it's your turn to go.
2: It is an interesting point though, even in club golf, even in club golf when you're used to getting around at a decent clip. Uh, I know at our golf course there's signs are saying you should have, uh, should have uh, only uh, taken one hour, ten minutes to get to this particular point um, of your round. So there are uh, these things, and, and every now and then if there's a, a slow group, the pro will hop in a cart and go out and um, perhaps give them a bit of a G up and say, look, uh, catch up or... Uh, are you aware of what you're creating behind and that quite often happens with Green Fee members etc who are playing the course for the first time and that's a little bit understandable they don't exactly know uh, where they go but in our course um, not very many holes where there's a, a big distance between uh, Green and tea. So, uh, but yeah it, it is it, it's an issue and the, that guy Cantlay, Patrick Cantlay is woefully slow, woefully slow in fact I had a, someone sent me a clip I think i might have been uh, John Barry the horse trainer sent me a clip there was a horse race in Australia and Patrick Cantley lining up his putt, right? And there was a horse race in Australia over 1,200 metres <laughs> and uh, down the straight at Flemington. And they put the timer on and a video timer on. And they both, as he jumped out the gates, uh, the horses jumped out the gates. And Patrick Cantley was lining up a putt, I'll tell you, I kid you not, about a two and a half foot putt, right? A two and a half foot putt, not, you know, to the end of the earth. Yeah. And I've seen the video, and effectively, as the horses finished their race, he made contact with the ball. And how it was long? Just path- how
6: pathetic. long is how long is that race?
2: Uh not depending on the track, twelve hundred metres. What said about uh, one minute eight or well, one minute ten seconds? Right. Well, I'll, I'll or just two calculate. and a half foot putt.
6: I'll quickly yeah. say this before we uh, go to the news with Adaha. Uh, I was quickly looking at the guidelines on the on the USGA. They recommend 40 seconds for pace of play. 40 seconds. I mean, and it's pathetic.
2: They they mark a one-foot putt. They mark it. Just go and knock it in. Start walking to the next tee, Patrick. I mean, he's got, oh, just annoying. And you know the worst part about it? He's good. He's damn good. I mean, it was useless. He wouldn't matter. But he's good, so you have to put up with it for four rounds, and quite often the last round is in contention. Speed up, Patrick, that's what we're saying. righty speaking of speed, we're into it next. We've got Caleb Hatch on.
0: Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts, and service needs to help you succeed in your field. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past
1: Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ.
10: Today
0: the picture of speed and consistency New Zealand motorsport fans will celebrate Because their man here is bringing it home Scott McLaughlin wins at Barber Motorsports Park And makes it four different winners
2: Yes indeed uh, the motorsport fans in this uh, neck of the woods Were buzzing yesterday at the sight of Scott McLaughlin Taking home the checkered flag at uh, the IndyCar's latest stop and that of course was uh, at Barber Motorsport Park in Alabama. The other Kiwis on the grid fared pretty well too. Scott Dixon finishing 7th and a rookie Marcus Armstrong again uh, pretty impressive in his first year 11th. It's been almost a year since we had our last guest on the show but he was so good that we had to get the call out to uh, Indiana following Scott McLaughlin's win. Caleb Hatch rejoins us, co-host of course of the new track record podcast. Caleb, welcome back to our show.
10: Great to be back with you, Ian.
2: Hey, Caleb, uh, great news for us, of course. And it, it always is with uh, IndyCar racing these days because we've got effectively three horses in every race with um, uh, the two Scots and Marcus Armstrong, of course. But yesterday, uh, it was about strategy. Quite a lot of strategy involved in Scott McLaughlin's win.
10: Oh, absolutely. I mean, Penske went with the three-stop strategy, which uh, worked out in his favour. It was hard to, to know if it would, but they made it work. Um, it, it just... Phenomenal work by him and the team. Obviously, team Team Penske is always going to give you excellent pit stops. They're they're the best in the business at pit stops in IndyCar, and just the way he was able to battle back after Roman Grosjean passed him on track with a magnificent move, to be honest, uh, but able to get right back by uh, and build that gap and left Grosjean in the dust. I, I think at that point the bigger question became could Will Power uh, the Aussie trace down Grosjean for second? He ended up finishing in third. But for Scott McLaughlin, this was much needed. Uh, It was a slow start to the season for him. And I think a lot of people uh, thought of McLaughlin as kind of the trendy championship pick going into the season. So for him to get a win early after not really bad results, but just nothing really notable uh, before on the season before that, no top fives, podiums or wins. So he gets his championship uh, chase back on track going into the month of May.
2: Okay, so uh, let's just go, just go into the strategy a little bit more, if we could, for our listeners, uh, Caleb. Mm-hmm. The three-stop as opposed to the four-stop, is that, is that what you're saying?
10: Uh, the three-stop as opposed to the two-stop. So it, and right. the wild part is that the three-stop usually never wins at Barber, but it worked out. Uh, the, the pits stayed open on the only yellow flag that they had during the day. Thanks to Stingray Rob having an engine issue uh, stopped on track, but that was it as far as yellows and it gave them a chance to go to the three-stop strategy and for Grosjean, just a, another missed opportunity for him. I mean, he's come so close so many times for that first win. the former F1 driver. Uh, he's now this, that's kind of hard to believe, but he's already tied uh, for third all time and most second place finishes without a win in IndyCar history. So, um wow. he's had a, a good good run in indycar in just three years but um once again coming up short
2: and the other thing i guess which would have um, just irked him a wee bit was uh, that he and uh, scott mclaughlin um, didn't quite hit it off uh, last time out did they um at st <laughs> petersburg
10: no no that was a it was a great battle and, and to be honest uh, for both those guys i mean you're racing for the win it was clean all around um, really no one at fault with that incident in the season opener at St. Pete, and this is felt like a similar situation. I mean, they went all out uh, trying to, to to battle for the win again this time, but uh, McLaughlin able to come ahead and really thanks to just not having to save fuel. And the other thing that was notable is that Grosjean had a, a lot of seconds of push to pass, which gives you a, a bit of a short-term horsepower boost, and suddenly – uh, going into after that final round of pit stops, he had no push to pass less. So it, either he burned through a lot of it, just trying to stay ahead in the lead uh, earlier in the race, or <laughs> there was some sort of issue because it seemed to disappear pretty quickly for him.
2: Okay, so big uh, big turning point maybe in the season for Scott McLaughlin. How have you assessed him? Um, our third driver? Marcus Armstrong has gone yesterday, started uh, 26th. Fought his way up to uh, a pretty creditable 11th. So how's, how's he gone in your eyes so far?
10: Oh, I, I mean, this was a guy who going into the season, you're obviously in a, in a great ride with Chip Ganassi racing, not racing the ovals, at least for now. He didn't do Texas. He's not doing Indy, but he could come on later in the year for the short ovals at Iowa, where they have a double header. And then at worldwide technology raceway, uh, outside of St. Louis on another short oval. So we'll, we'll keep our eyes on that to see if he gets his oval debut later this year. But, you know, I thought of him as, is the rookie of the year, even though he'd be out a couple of ovals. They don't have double points for the Indy 500 anymore. And I mean, Texas is a race where a, a lot of young guys are going to crash. So you don't really have that working against you. And I think he's been excellent this year. Um, I, I think Marcus Armstrong is a guy who perhaps could slot into that uh, seat at Ganassi full-time next year if Alex Pillow goes over to McLaren, Aaron McLaren, as that's been rumored uh, for 2024. So Marcus Armstrong, pair of 11th-place finishes, and 8th-place finish so far in the season. I think he's a guy who is not only leading the Rookie of the Year standings, but I think he could win the Rookie of the Year standings despite being down a, a couple of races going away.
2: Okay. Uh, interesting uh, season also for our number one man who has been for over the years, for so long he was flying the Kiwi flag by himself, but for Scott Dixon, we're so used to seeing him on the podium, a third at St. Petersburg, a fifth at Texas, mechanical issues at Long Beach, of course, he wasn't happy there with a um, one or two issues uh, in terms of um, driver skills either, uh, and then now seventh at Alabama, not quite the season he'd be wanting.
10: No, and you know, the weird thing is, Dixon, for whatever reason, he's never won at Barber, it's a track that he's had some good results at, but just yet to win, uh, at that track. And that's just one of a a few tracks he's never won at, but, uh, for him, I I just think it's been a slow start to the season. And and I don't know if it's necessarily, you know, because he's, he's lost his app. I really don't think that's it. I I just think it's a slow start. and We've seen this before, but I I think now that the calendar is May, I think we'll kind of see what happens and, Not only for him, just as far as the championship, but I know he definitely wants that second Indy 500 coming oh so close a a couple years ago before a late uh, penalty on a pit speed violation. So I I think we'll see his fortunes change here in May.
2: Right. uh, Let's uh, stay on the subject of May then, because the next event is um, in uh, the GMR Grand Prix next weekend. And then, of course, uh, the famed uh, Indy 500 at the end of the month. How big does IndyCar get in this month in particular?
10: Oh, I mean, this is everything for IndyCar. Um, all eyes on Indy for the 500, but I think the the, the GP is a bit underrated as a great event for fans to come to if they've never been to an IndyCar race to kind of check it out. It's more laid back, more family-friendly atmosphere, um, kind of casual <laughs> event as far, uh, as far as how it goes as a fan experience. Um, but I think for that race it, it kind of sets the tone for the month of may and when it was first added back in 2014 i think a lot of people had doubts about the move thinking you know is this necessary do you need another race at ims and i think it's been a positive addition for the series to kind of build momentum for the month of may and, and really kind of set the stage for the indy 500 so this is a an event where we've seen willpower kind of dominate uh, a lot of the years along with simon Pagenaud, uh, but I think this year we could see another first-time winner as IndyCar could potentially make it five for five, five winners in five races so far this year.
2: For those of uh, that are, of us over here that are uh, uninitiated, uh, just tell us about uh, the importance of the Indianapolis 500. Where do, where, what is it rate? Is it, is it Super Bowl status like?
10: Yeah, it's I mean it's the Super Bowl of of racing. Um, this is the biggest event. I, I think drivers now they may not openly admit it, you know, in an interview, but I'd say most drivers would probably rather win the Indy 500 than win the championship. And so it's that important to the teams, to the drivers. It makes or breaks your career. Uh, someone, you know, you can maybe rattle off who won a championship a few years ago, but everyone's going to remember an Indy 500 winner. And, and we saw that last year with Marcus Erickson joining that special group of drivers, and and we'll see who joins or even adds to their collection coming up at the end of May.
2: Okay, so there's some aerodynamic changes to the cars uh, for the Indy 500 this time around.
10: Yes, so they added some new pieces, and and we'll see. Look, we saw record speeds last year in qualifying with Scott Dixon setting the pole speed record. Now, the overall record from 1996, uh, not yet touched, but I think we'll see kind of what that, you know, what kind of impact that has. We didn't really get a a full look at the open test one because they didn't have the boost turned up, so we didn't see as fast a speeds uh, as we'd get on Fast Friday and then Qualifying Weekend, which is coming up later this month. But I think the arrow changes are something uh, to keep in mind as they inch closer and closer to that uh, 236-mile-per-hour lap in in qualifying record, and, and we'll see if they can hit that later this month.
2: Yeah, well, I had um, recently the the Indy 500 open test. What what were the takeaways from the driver's point of view from that?
10: Yeah, I think, you know, testing is always just kind of a, a way for drivers to kind of try some new things out. I, I think for the teams, uh, we actually talked with Scott McLaughlin on the podcast last week. And, and he said, look, we got a lot of work in the first day. We kind of do day two, uh, which was rained out, may not be a possibility. So he, he felt pretty satisfied with the work that they are able to get in in just one day but really it's just working on the cars making sure everything's good to go because a lot of these teams will have indy 500 specific chassis that they develop and work on throughout the off season and save just for the indy 500 so they're just again systems check making sure everything's good to go and then finding ways to inch more speed out of the car
2: What well, that's uh, when you had uh, scott mclaughlin on uh, your show on the New Track Record podcast. What did um, what did you learn about the Kiwi?
10: Yeah, so, uh, I mean, we did learn he's very excited about uh, the Carolina Panthers and their draft pick. Um, he's a big football, American football fan. And I think the other thing we learned is, you know, his, his kind of mindset, I found it interesting. So the IndyCar paddock is, is pretty welcoming. He's become a guy I think has been very welcomed in with open arms into the series. But He just kind of said he noted that the difference in the mindset between racing and supercars and just kind of the attitude in the paddock there compared to IndyCar over here. And and he's still kind of a guy who's just all about taking care of his business. And and there's nothing wrong with that. But I found it interesting to kind of hear him talk about how different kind of more cutthroat things were in supercars compared to IndyCar.
2: I have a producer over here, Caleb, who uh, I guess it's fair to say sways towards Uh, anything happening in or around Canada, but he's a big fan of street courses like uh, Long Beach and Toronto. Mm -hmm. Do you you have a favorite venue uh, aside from perhaps Indianapolis?
10: Yeah, I mean, I grew up in Indianapolis. I'm a bit biased uh, with the Indy 500, but beyond that, man, that's a tough question as far as tracks that I like. I mean, Barber's a good one. I've been able to go there a couple of times. Mid Ohio is good as well. It's a good track. Um Long Beach with the prestige of the event. I, I don't really know. You know, there, there are a lot of good tracks in the series. That's kind of a cop-out answer. But I think there's so many different unique types of tracks the series has. Uh, from road courses like Road America, which is considered one of the best in the U.S., to uh, street course races like Toronto and Long Beach. Uh, Detroit moving to downtown. Detroit, get to experience that in about a month from now. And then the oval tracks. Uh, I, I think since I grew up around ovals, that'll always be my favorite. But uh, I've enjoyed some of the new additions they've had in recent years like Nashville. That's been, uh, been a very successful event and good addition to the series.
2: What does uh, the week of uh, the Indianapolis 500 look like for, for you, Caleb? I mean, h- how involved, how much attendance do you have? How involved are you and, and how much, you know, do you have work Do you, and, and information do you have available on the podcast as such?
10: Yeah, so I'm sure, and we don't have this all locked in, but I'm sure we'll be releasing special Know, episodes and, and additions throughout the month. I know we'll have a special guest coming up later this week on the podcast to kind of kick things off. And then uh, we'll be joined by drivers and other officials leading up to the Indy 500 with some special episodes. And we'll plan to do a live uh, radio show that will be on the podcast for Carb Day, which is the Friday before. And then uh, from there on, it's just enjoying the weekend and, and, and enjoying the experience. Uh,
2: just uh, before we let you go, um, just to say – uh, the cars are operate, fully operational and they perform well. Would you have a, a pick this far out? It's a month away from for Indianapolis 500?
10: Yeah, you know, it's it's a great question. Um, it, the really, it comes down to a few things. I think that the, the things I'm looking for this month, as always every year, it's it's Honda and Chevy as far as the manufacturers. And Honda's won the last Indy 500 so that's something to keep in mind. The other thing that I'm looking at is Team Penske. Uh, they're they're kind of the dominant team at Indy, but results in recent years have kind of been lacking. They haven't really been competing for a win for several years, really since Simon Passion won it in 2019. They've been pretty quiet on track. It's another thing I'm looking for. And then just some of the younger guys. Um, we saw Marcus Erickson get the win last year. Can he repeat? Can Elio get a fifth? Can Dixon get a second? But as far as favorites going into this month, I have to go with Alex below a teammate of Scott Dixon at chip Ganassi racing. He was second in 2021. He's been fast. He's been quick. I think Ganassi will once again have really, really good cars for the month of May. I think he's kind of my early favorite for the Indy 500. Well,
2: well, fascinating to hear uh, your comments there it was a great celebration for us motorsport fans back in New Zealand yesterday of course and we too um, look forward to uh, the tradition that is the the Indy 500 coming up, it would be nice to see a Kiwi on the podium Uh, Caleb Hatch, thanks so much for uh, taking the time out to give us that information and uh, we shall continue to listen on the new track record podcast for that information particularly for the remainder of this month as well should be fascinating, thanks for your time Caleb enjoyed it
10: Absolutely, thanks for having me on, Ian.
2: No, no problem at all. Caleb Hatch there, uh, out of uh, Indianapolis, of course. He's an Indiana man, um, born and bred. And um, you know, uh, the crowds that they have uh, absolutely phenomenal. Uh, and the whole week there, I mean, it, I would say Logan, you'd take Bathurst and you'd time ten, times it by ten, maybe
6: twenty. Yeah, I mean, it's just like. The fact that, you know, Indianapolis, Indiana gets two events uh, in the month of May, it's just going to be, I mean, it's heaven for any IndyCar fan, isn't it? Like, I mean, obviously, Caleb uh, Hatch is going to be all in on it. You know, he, he's grown up there, so he knows what it's all about. I mean, it's just going to be so exciting. I mean, you know, like you mentioned, I am a big fan of the uh, Grand Prix at Long Beach. Uh, and I, I just love how tight and technical that track is. But then, you know, Indy 500 being on the oval, it's a completely different beast, isn't it? So uh, it'll be interesting to see how how things go, how the Kiwis go. Uh, it would be great if, uh, you know, I don't think it's going to happen this time, but sometime in the near future we see Marcus Armstrong make his uh, debut on an oval track because it's, it's really impressive how well he has gone considering he's a rookie best of the rookies so far in indycar and i just love how he got a trophy uh yesterday for the most places um gained during the race It was like 15 mm-hmm. and in his interview he was like oh do i get a trophy for being the 10th loser <laughs> this, yeah. is, this is before he knew what it what the trophy was for i just thought it was brilliant so yeah i mean having three kiwis there in indycar it's just amazing isn't it
2: it is it is fantastic and uh um, this month in particular I feel uh, we'll get to learn more about um, uh, them as well Scott McLaughlin, uh, Scott Dixon and uh, of course Marcus Armstrong just 22 years of age uh, that makes Scott McLaughlin um, a veteran doesn't it, at uh, what, 29 incredible um, so uh, it's 10.20 here on SENZ, we shall be back shortly
1: all winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa this is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ
2: Yeah, a couple of uh, texts have come in on a couple of issues. Uh, We were just uh, talking about uh, the IPL uh, players not getting, or New Zealand players, not getting any game time really of significance, which is not helping them prepare for what's coming up uh, a little later in the year, i.e. the World Cricket Cup for 50 over cricket. And uh, here we are smack bang in the middle of a series against uh, Pakistan. They're just across the border in India doing nothing. And we're playing a team that probably will only have uh, three or four or maybe five at the most in that squad um so um you know that they're, they're sort of basically unemployed at the moment um and um texts come in from joe battler g'day joe uh, morning and smells a bit like the all blacks uh, selecting island players so they are no longer eligible for their home team uh, then throw them on the rubbish heap australian rugby league were infamous for taking out kiwi players just before tests just a thought just a thought uh, still a big fan of the game though that's uh, joe battler and maggie's coming uh, on the subject of kiwis overseas and uh, giving us a a bit of a i don't know rap over the knuckles i think it's fair to say maggie uh hi smithy uh read kiwis overseas i know i'm in the minority as a fan but how about our three-day eventers we have the number one and two in the world with tim and janelle price badminton horse trials commence very soon so you can, uh, your equine coverage and maybe maybe uh, extend to an interview prior to the event. Uh, listening, Logan. And two years of listening to SENZ. And I love it. I've never heard any equestrian c- coverage other than horse racing as such. And we do have a very proud tradition at Badminton, Burley, uh, those traditional ones coming up at this time of the year in the UK. Uh, to mention, uh, not to mention other ones as well. So... Uh, There we go, Maggie, I can see uh, Logan Swinkles uh, making a written note as we speak, and uh, we just might be able to get hold of uh, either Tim or Janelle, that would be nice, uh, leading into badminton, which is, as I say, very, very high on the profile of of, uh, equestrian events in the world. Looking forward to this uh, next interview, Logan, this is an interesting story, this out of nowhere so much pressure over the, the last six months or eight months, I think it's fair to say, for our rugby CEO um, mm-hmm. and of uh, course for him to resign from various quarters etc, uh, that hasn't happened of course, uh, over the issue uh, pre- predominantly over the, the coaching issue for the All Blacks but here's a bloke um, uh, and Andy Marinos who seems to have got his job done pretty well financially anyway, it looks a, a good deal better uh, and also um, of course you know, he thinks uh, they've got their ducks in the row quite nicely. You you would imagine leading into the World Cup, although they're going to fly under the radar there. We're talking about the Wallabies, so I'm um, looking forward to this chat.
6: Yeah, I mean, we have been hearing a lot of good things coming out of Australia with you know Eddie Jones coming back, them reporting their surplus uh, coming out of the pandemic, and then when this news broke um, via you know t- via Tom Deacon on Twitter, it just it blew me away. I was like, where is this coming from? And you know, four months out from a World Cup, so I know you've got a lot of questions for Tom about what this means uh, for you know Rugby Australia moving forward. I think we probably all do because I mean, you know, we while the All Blacks sort of had the upper hand on the Wallabies for a long time, we do care about our our friends across the ditch and how they're doing in the game because we do love rugby and we want to see them do well because it it competes with us. It provides competition for the All Blacks so yeah really looking forward to this chat with Tom Decent straight after the news Smithy.
2: Yep okay well uh, let's head to the news shall we with uh, Arava, we'll be back shortly uh, with Tom and see if we can get uh, a little further to the bottom of it. Well, it was just last week that uh, Rugby Australia CEO Andy Marinos and uh, his chairman Hamish McLennan sat down together to announce to the world a surplus of $8.2 million uh, in 2022 for the sport, a great result considering the $27.1 million loss reported two years prior. And now uh, we are here, late yesterday afternoon New Zealand time that Andy Marinos is on his way out. News broke yesterday across uh, the ditch that the CEO has resigned and is out the door mid-June. The timing couldn't be a little, uh, couldn't be more perplexing actually, could it really, uh, with the World Cup not that far away. So joining us now uh, from the Sunny Morning Herald is reporter Tom decent who broke the story. Tom, good morning to
0: you. G'day Ian, how are you going?
2: Yeah, mate, do you have any inkling of this? Any, any sorts of rumours floating around about this or did it blow you all out of the water somewhat?
11: Uh, funnily enough, we did for a few weeks, if not months. There'd been murmurs that um, Andy Marinos and Hamish McLennan, the chairman, hadn't got on and had a, had a strained working relationship. And um, As recently as last week, a few of us had put that to Andy and he said, no, all good moving forward. But as it turns out, Tendy's turned to his resignation late last week. Um, only a few days after he announced a profit for 2022 and four months out from a Rugby World Cup, Um, The boss of Australian rugby is out the door. He'll leave in in mid-June. There's no interim for the time being, but a little bit interesting, the timing, you have to say, given the sort of big-ticket event on the calendar coming up.
2: Interesting indeed. Uh, Tell us, uh, is Hamish McLennan, we've uh, seen some some statements um, floating through uh, on the wire from Hamish McLennan over the last few months in particular, but is he a difficult man to get on with?
10: Or you
11: have to ask those that work with him. Um, I know he enjoys being in the media and talking to reporters and having his pot shots beat across the New Zealand rugby at various times. His target probably more recently is rugby league and wanting to poach players from there and trying to flex rugby's muscle in this country. Um, but look, there's been reports of, of Hamish's bullish style and how he's gone about his business in, in years gone by and then he knows what he wants and... Um, I would imagine there are difficulties at time. He's a very hands-on chairman. He was very influential in trying to get Eddie Jones to come on board as well as his coach. And um, You can argue that that's more a CEO's kind of role. And Andy Marinos is certainly not the figurehead of Rugby Australia, and um, Hamish McLennan has been that as the chairman. So um, an interesting dynamic, and I think just a matter of time before Andy Marinos um, wanted to you know, go a different way and maybe found it all a little bit too much.
2: Timing's interesting, isn't it? Even if the relationship's a little bit strange, you you would have thought that he might have just stuck it out to the end of the World Cup.
11: Yeah, I agree. How many how many CEOs would leave, um, you know, four months out from a World Cup? It's interesting that um, Hamish and Andy are going to Paris this week or later this week for meeting Sandi meeting, so they'll have to be on okay terms for that. Uh, look, I mean, Andy's, Andy went over for the um, Autumn Internationals last year. He has had international travel with the Wallabies in Rugby Australia, but yeah, I mean, he hasn't spoken publicly about it yet. There was a statement released saying he's you know, thanks run for his time and support, but um, it would be interesting to dig a little deeper and understand exactly why he's left at such an yeah, interesting time for the game, particularly with what's on the horizon in Australian rugby, too.
2: Well, he came in um, at the time that the COVID pandemic was around, of course. Uh, The box looked to to be in a bit of a mess. A lot of rugby unions around the world were struggling, to be fair, because of the pandemic. But uh, how do you assess his job as done um, administration-wise and in terms of his his core roles?
11: I actually think he did an excellent job. There were some really tough years that he had to go through there, getting the game back on course. There was that massive deficit, as you said earlier, $27 bucks, and that turned around to $8 million loss uh, profit last year. It's a bit of credit to go to him and Hamish, and Hamish hit the press release. press conference spoke glowingly about Andy and his ability to turn that around. Um, I think getting the 2027 World Cup was a massive coup for Australian rugby. And you speak to anyone in the game, and, and, and there is high praise for Andy Marinos and what he did. Um, he wasn't everyone's biggest fan when he was at Sandar, but everyone thought he did a pretty good job here and he was a straight shooter and everyone knew where he stood. Um, his ability to speak to the grassroots of the game and try and bridge that gap between you know, rugby Australia and perhaps the lower level of the game had improved. Uh, so generally, I think, a, a, a good tenure.
2: We have, of course, uh, you'd, you'd be aware of this, we have a, a big backing of, of Silver Lake in this country, a country and overseas company. Do Australia uh, rugby enjoy uh, a similar type of arrangement in terms of finances?
11: Uh, Not at the moment, but I know that they're definitely going down that That route. uh, Private equity is something they're very much exploring. They've gone to market, there are informal conversations being had and they're looking to have that wrapped up before the 2025 Lions series. So it's definitely a similar model that I think Australian rugby will go down, definitely.
2: Can we look at um, the women's game just briefly? Uh, and where it's at uh, in terms of uh, how you feel internationally and, um, I guess, domestically. For instance, what's the health of the Super W competition looking like at the moment when we're hearing stories and seeing stories of the NRLW posing a threat to players?
11: Well, the great... I mean, the interesting thing about Super W is that it, it was long before the AFL and the NRL competitions for women. So rugby actually had its you know, um, in the ground a lot before the other competitions as well, but it's probably fallen behind that in terms of not only investment, but just supporting the women athletes as well. Is the competition even? Probably not where it needs to be. It's become a little bit better in recent years, but there's definitely work to be done on that front with a few blowouts. I know the Australian teams would love to, to merge and have a fully-fledged Trans-Tasman competition. I'm not sure whether there is appetite from New Zealand for that. I'm just not sure, uh, but there's certainly a lot of space to go in that front. We know on the Sevens front, there's a full-time professional Australian side and there are teams around the world for that. But when you look at other countries, England, for example, in their 15th game, Australia's just really lagging behind and with the World Cup coming up. In about six years' time, um, it's time to get a move on.
2: I've got to say, Tom, uh, we've heard stories over here of, of um, perhaps uh, a, a full War or someone of that nature coming in as a a candidate to replace uh, Marinos. I I just wonder, have you heard any rumours, any stories about anyone likely coming in? Would they come from within the game or would they come externally?
11: I think Phil War's best chance of getting the gig is if he came in as an interim. So Andy Marinos will stay until mid-June. If there is an interim, it's very likely to be Phil War, and then maybe he could hang on to that position long-term. But there will be a recruitment process uh, yeah, it's, it's a good question. Phil Moore's very tight with Hamish McLennan. If it is a, a chairman's pick or he has a big say in it, then it will, uh, there's a reasonable chance that it will be Phil Moore. But if I was Rugby Australian, I was head honters there, I'd be wanting to pick from afar. I think they need a fresh set of eyes. Um, I think Andy Marinov's coming in was a good thing. And, uh, but my suspicion is that Phil Moore is definitely um, the front runner for that gig at the moment. But it's very early doors preliminary phone call, yesterday. and was wondering who was going to be there, thereabouts, but that was a name that definitely came up, considering
2: he's on the RA board at the moment. Uh, Tom, um, talking of transitions from a uh, CEO to another CEO, how about the transition of head coach uh, Eddie Jones from Dave Rennie? How have you assessed it this far on? Um,
11: it's been interesting. There was a lot of kerfuffle and um, Interviews done at the time And I think everyone It's just sort of settled down A little bit now uh, Eddie Jones is in an interesting position Where he can say whatever he wants now But uh, The Wallabies aren't playing games yet It's all You know Talk is cheap until they play South Africa in Pretoria In a couple of months time Had their first camp a few weeks ago Very much a preliminary camp Just to say goodbye to a few people I don't think it meant a whole lot In terms of who was selected Maybe put a rocket up With a few guys Who needed to Pull their finger out Um down yeah, in Melbourne yesterday trying to plug Bledisloe like, Cup tickets with the MCG, which would be a massive game. It's just, unfortunately, Freddie's not going to get his hands on these guys. I think he's going to have four proper training sessions before that first test in charge. And then he basically has five tests before a Rugby World Cup. And all those games are difficult. You know, you go to Pretoria at altitude. he going got to play Michael Checkers, as Argentina, and there's a long rivalry there, as we know, and then a couple of All Blacks tests, and then France in Paris before the World Cup. Um, Australia could be going into that World Cup with maybe one or two wins under their belt max. So um, it's a smash-and-grab operation, as he said multiple times. Fascinated to see what squad and team he picks. Uh, is he the man that could do it? Yeah, look, there's optimism here, but uh, you know it's all talk until they play a game.
2: Interesting clash of the Titans. Um, we've spoken about Hamish McLennan, but you jump across the fence and look at uh, Peter Volandis. Um, they're having some nice little battles over um, players and all sorts of things um, between the two codes. It's quite interesting to look at from over here.
11: Oh, it is. Uh, look, I think there is a, a bit of light-heartedness to it, to a certain extent. I know that league likes its own touch and rugby wants to try and um, go toe-to-toe with league. And McLean is not scared of doing that or saying things in the press to try and stir the league types up. I don't think it'll continue for, for too long. And I think league will be pretty quick to bash down rugby if the Wallabies don't go well in the World Cup and whatnot. And rugby has its own problems that it has to deal with. So I think the planner needs to be a little bit careful, maybe in how sort of bullish he is in that in that rhetoric with league. But um, in terms of fodder, it's very funny. Very funny to watch a, a few uh, grenades being thrown each way, particularly for those in the press who uh, like to wrap it up
2: yeah I mean it is because um, it doesn't involve us and it's, it's it's quite funny on this side as well uh, just before we let you go uh, Tom the Super Rugby is at a pretty interesting stage now we're starting to get uh, quite serious about uh, looking at towards the playoffs the Brumbies a little hiccup uh, last uh, weekend against um, the Hurricanes Australians performance overall are you encouraged by it should Eddie Jones be encouraged by it picking the bones out of what you can see to form a Wallaby squad
11: oh not really. Uh, I think it's been pretty average, to be fair. I think if you asked all the Australian teams, and I think they would be thrilled with their performances. I reckon if you asked Eddie Jones privately, he wouldn't be super thrilled with what he's seen. Yes, the Bromies have been pretty good, won most of their games, a couple of slip-ups against Kiwi teams, but there's a real gap emerging in that competition. You know, the Reds and the Waratahs will battle it out for sixth position. You'd imagine. Ah, uh, look, there will be enough quality there. once said he gets his hands on it to pick a wall of his side that will challenge any team. We saw that on last year's tour up north where they came very close to beating France and Ireland. Uh, look, there's enough talent there to sustain a wall of his team and be competitive at the World Cup, most definitely, but I think people need to look at this super rugby comp going forward because Australian teams just aren't cutting it at the moment. They have five teams. There was so much work going to cutting out a team. I just don't think five teams is sustainable, um, quite frankly, heading into
2: the future Interesting thoughts uh, Tom, Decent. Uh, absolutely fantastic to catch up uh, with you again um, You can see uh, Tom's fine work in the Sydney Morning Herald um, on uh, all things rugby concerning uh, Australia in particular Hey Tom, thanks for your time uh, We'll keep, uh, keep an eye on it and see who the successor, maybe an interim successor will be and uh, yeah it'll be interesting, Phil Wars a name that is pretty familiar to uh, a lot of New Zealand rugby fans. Ch- thanks for your time no worries, have a great day. Yeah, same to you, uh, Tom Decent. They're out of uh, the Sydney Morning Herald, yeah. Uh, yes, Phil War. interesting. Remember Phil War, magnificent open side flanker, New South Wales and uh, Australia. Um, he certainly put his uh, body on the line for Australian rugby, a little bit like uh, in the form of uh, Michael Hooper, actually, uh, not that far apart. 10.44 here on SCNZ, uh, back with some uh, racing and some odds shortly as well.
0: Your equipment, parts, and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice
1: of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. The
3: Loveracing.nz update your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit Loveracing.nz, racing's biggest fan. <laughs>
2: Right, let's get to Louis Herman Watt uh, With a view towards what's coming up this weekend Actually Louis, including uh, some racing At Rickerton, uh, I'm looking at the weather Pattern, it's uh, looking okay going into Saturday, Champagne Stakes.
7: Yes, that's right Smithy, what's the latest with your two year old? Is he going
2: to go? Uh, I think uh, at this stage, yeah, depending on track conditions um, uh, All things going well I-, I think so, that was the uh, original Target when they took him down south So hopefully Louis
7: Oh, that's good news, mate. Yep. No, that's very exciting for you. Uh, it's a nice race day there at Rickerton. It gets to this time of year where we're pretty much racing um, every other weekend at Riccarton. Uh Ruikaka is also a racetrack. We get the heavy workload through the winter, as we know, with the sand-based track. Um, we get the synthetic on Thursday at Rickerton, and then Otaki on Friday, and Tarapa, where well, they're doing some great work, and then the Awapuni Synthetic on Sunday. That's a very exciting moment for a lot of people who have been involved here. And Maybe we should give a shout-out to one of our favourite uh, jockeys in New Zealand, Well she's not even in New Zealand anymore. She plies her trade in Queensland. But the third member of her family, both parents, did it. Um, Jim and Trudy and Sam Collett has hit the 1,000 win marks, finishing that milestone in Queensland, where she now plies her trade. But Sam Collett, she's a wonderful person, very good rider and a thousand wins for mum, dad and Sam, that's pretty special isn't
2: it and uh, that is amazing it's an amazing legacy actually for the Collett family uh, that uh, they will leave racing with that number of wins and she's always very pleasant media wise as well Sam Collett. so thanks Louis yeah. uh, thanks for bringing that up, uh, we'll get you up with um, Louis again tomorrow uh, but we need to get to the TAB before 11 o'clock too
0: Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter,
1: he's the voice of sport in our Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SCNZ.
2: Massive day today in the NBA and I'm sure that's a focus too for the TAB as the playoff race heats up. Uh, Brendan Popwell, good morning to you. Um, do you have some good markets on that today?
8: Certainly do Stockley, good morning to you and we're about 34 minutes away from the first game today and of course that is the Celtics and they are really well supported in their match against the 76ers, Boston Celtics $1.18, ers 470. We've seen good money on the Celtics to win this money to, to really get into the cramped odds of $1.18 and we've also seen some money on the total points over 215 points that is currently sitting at $1.85 If you want to look towards the power plays Tatum and Harden to combine for 50 points, 16 rebounds, 14 assists. That's been well played at a $5 price. But you're yeah, 59% of that money on the Celtics. And let's move on to the next one, of course, which will be tipping off at 2 o'clock. The Nuggets and the Suns, a lot closer here. Nuggets, 157. Suns, 235. We've seen money both ways here. And for the outright champion, of course, tomorrow, it's Lakers versus the Golden State Warriors. I can tell you the Lakers are the best-backed team to win the championship at $9.00. Golden State Warriors are at five dollars and fifty cents. They start their fight, of course, tomorrow. Where the Golden State Warriors on their home court are a dollar forty-eight, and the Lakers at two fifty-five.
2: Just uh, looking uh, very quickly too, um, BP. It's probably a market um, that you weren't prepared for, but an interesting one. Just the same, the Warriors uh, coming up against the Panthers. Of course, uh, this is the Magic Round being played um, all at Suncorp. Court. Um, yeah. Warriors are big outsiders here at three fifty against the Panthers, dollar twenty-nine.
8: Hasn't put them off, though, Smithy. Hasn't put them off. They love to chime in on to the Warriors when they're outsiders. And once again, we've already seen traction around that $3.50. Of course, Penrith lost last week to the cellar dwellers and the West Tigers, so uh, a wounded Panthers for the Warriors to contend with. Hopefully, we see some of those Warriors coming back into the lineup. But yes, well-played outsiders in the first game on Saturday afternoon, uh, three fifty dollars their quote. And already we've seen some money for the Brisbane Broncos in their game on Friday night. They sit at a dollar thirty against the Manly Sea Eagles, who were ordinary at home against the Gold Coast Titans. They sit at three forty. Magic Round. Boy, that's going to be an absolute beaut. And we might as well touch on some ball as well for you, Smithy, because we've got New Zealand yep. interest in the Briley steeplechase for John Wheeler. Abacus, it goes around at $31. Sean Phelan will be there for the week. And, of course, it's a treat to listen to Rick McIntosh, because, seriously, how bloody good is the bull?
2: The bull is on the bucket list. And I'd love to go on the Brendan Popperwell hosted tour party. Can you arrange that?
8: <laughs>
2: Let's get it done. Let's get it. <laughs> Let's get it done. Let's get it done. 10.59 coming up, 11 o'clock here. Uh, Ian Foster was uh, on the run home yesterday. We're going to hear excerpts from that interview that he had with uh, Angus and Kirsty, um, And uh, very interesting as well
0: are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. From behind the stumps to behind the
1: mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yeah,
2: it's uh, coming up 11.04 here too uh, and I actually uh, I very rudely uh, didn't ask um, Brennan Popple about uh, the NHL because uh, tomorrow of course uh, it's the turn of the Toronto Maple Leafs up against the Florida Panthers. And that'll uh, they'll have the puck off. Is that
6: what you call it? Face off. Uh, puck off. That uh, sounds uh, way cooler. Yep. Yeah, you've got to <laughs> yeah, you gotta be careful. Yeah, it, I was though. just about to say you got to be real careful there.
2: <laughs> okay, so they have the face off at eleven o'clock tomorrow morning, mm-hmm. and your Maple Leafs, your Maple Leafs, you won't sleep in excitement out of this. Are a dollar sixty-two
6: favourites over the Florida Panthers. How do you assess, where's, uh, Is that at home? Oh, yes, uh, because the uh, Florida Panthers uh, knocked out the Boston Bruins, and I, I do have a clip that I want to play of uh, Sam Hewitt because he is uh, a diehard Boston Bruins fan. Uh, <laughs> I was here in the control room when they got knocked out. It was uh, incredible scenes, at least for me. Uh, because of uh, the Panthers knocking them out, the Panthers were the lowest seed in the Eastern Conference. They got through with the second wildcard, Boston being the first seed. So that now gives the Toronto Maple Leafs home ice advantage for their second round, which I mean, is, is huge. But then at the same time, it wasn't huge in the first round for them because they won three of their games on the road, which um, I saw an amazing stat that Sheldon Keith is like the first Maple Leafs coach since like 1951 to do that uh, in the playoffs. So it's a, oh, I mean, to be fair, it's a long time for anything for the Maple Leafs to have success in the playoffs. So it's probably not counting for much, but... I like those odds, but at the same time, I mean, this is uncharted territory for me, Smithy. That's a Maple Leafs fan, uh, and uh, once we've, in a ge- we've got once in a on the, Yeah, once in a generation, once. we've got Daniel McCarty on the show tomorrow as well to talk football, but he is also uh, a Maple Leafs fan, so he's kindly coming on <laughs> right when the game is starting. So much love to him.
2: Oh well, we'll have a, we'll have a double header. We'll have a, a hockey preview as well as. Um, as uh, a football review of course uh, with the Phoenix now uh, confirmed to be in the playoffs that uh, has ramped everything up in terms of interest uh, domestically for sure. Right uh, speaking of head coaches wanting to do great things that includes uh, our head coach of the All Blacks doesn't it Ian Foster remember him uh, well it's time now for him to be in the limelight and it was time for him yesterday to be on the run home and um, that's with uh, Kirsty and Augusta. Tahava I should say that Beavers back tomorrow uh, I've been told to say to everyone, the whole world, that Beaver will be back tomorrow, as will Izzy uh, in the morning, and the morning show, was, so it'll be Izzy and Kempy tomorrow morning with Louis, uh, and then it'll be Kirsty and, and Beaver, Stephen Donald, uh, back, uh, so uh, they've been uh, working very hard, I understand, it's amazing that they're not over-fatigued and uh, jet-lagged and everything from a very strenuous trip to France, but Um, They're going to fight through it all, Uh, the brave souls, rugby players of course, they're going to fight through it all and they are on deck tomorrow which is uh, great for the ratings apparently. Here we go, let's uh, talk to, uh, hear from uh, Ian Foster who was first of all asked about uh, the subject of uh, two really informed Chiefs players, Damian McKenzie, Sean Stevenson.
3: Fozzie, I just wanted to ask you more about uh, Damien McKenzie. Awesome news that he's re-signed with New Zealand Rugby for the next couple of years and I'm sure he's going to be part of your plans this year. Um, before he went to Japan, there was a massive debate going on. Is he a fullback? Is he a first five? He goes over there, plays 10 for Suntory, comes back. What difference have you seen in his game and, and what position do you like him at?
5: Well, I said at the time we, we kind of felt he was a he was a ten. He could play fifteen. He 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 took on that challenge and um and and has really been handed that role. He wanted that role. He he played for Waikato last year in the NPC and you know he, he went through a few teething issues there and I know he was frustrated with a few things, but he's you know he's really settled into that. and has improved his game management and. And if you look at, the, you know, the depths of our 10, we it's it's fantastic to see him playing as well as he is playing. And and you've also got to remind ourselves that, you know, a couple of his big moments in the game actually came later on when he did switch to 15, and and, and Bryn Gatlin came on and who I also thought played pretty well. So you, you you've got an influence in the game in both positions, but the fact that he's able to I guess, use kicking game and his game management early in the game has been a massive positive for, for him and, and for the Chiefs. And I guess it puts himself, he's putting, certainly put putting his hand up to, for us to consider.
3: I wanted to talk to you about a couple of other players. Everywhere I go, whether it's the gym, the supermarket, people stop me and they talk about Sean Stevenson and Amoni Narua. Have these two made you sit up and watch what they're doing in, in 2023? Uh, or who has in Super Rugby? Who's really surprised you coming into the season?
5: Yeah, I, I wouldn't say the word surprised. I think, um, you know, though, you know, I've mentioned those two myself the last week. I just that they've they've deserved that because they, they really are putting their hand up. There's a number of other players. I don't kind of like to go down a name drop too much because it probably puts players under a bit too much pressure. But there have been a number of players who have put their hand up. And I guess in the case of Sean and Amoni, and I they, you know, they've probably been the ones in bright lights haven't they you know they've taken taken their opportunity they're playing regularly and and, and really doing a good job for their franchise and, and and making us have a look at that and and the fact that you've got Sebi Reese who, who's out of contention and yeah. uh, it, it does mean that we are putting a spotlight on that space so yeah, it's a good time to be playing well as an outside back that's all <laughs> I'd say.
2: Yeah, interesting. Uh, uh, No doubt that uh, they're putting their hands up, should I say, um, at exactly the right time. Um, Ian Foster knows that this is his uh, last regime, win, lose or draw, so um, he's not going to worry about uh, upsetting too many people along the line going forward, I can tell you that. He'll be picking uh, form players, and uh, so he should, although with an eye to uh, the faith he's had in players over the last uh, two to three years, but... Certainly, um, injury is being a factor too. I uh, mentioned Seve Reese there um, and uh, Sean Stevenson coming into that bracket and that back three bracket uh, quite nicely has uh, also asked about other positional needs within the group at this point.
6: But what are are some other positions, you know, we we don't have to name drop, but you said some players uh, putting their hand up, like what's going to be the toughest uh, positions, because I feel like it's probably every position really, but, you know, the back row, there's some great locks running around, a few injuries at prop at the moment, Um, how, how does that look for you guys?
5: Yeah, well, you, you've basically answered your own question. You've done it really good. You know, I think <laughs> oh, yeah, you I, I
6: like to help you out, Fuzzy. You know, I've got yeah, your back. Well,
5: you always have, Gus, and uh, <laughs> and you've never been short sure of a word here and there, <laughs> which I appreciate. But um, no, look, I think it's like right now, as a group of selectors and, and coaches, we're you know we're, we've got a pretty clear idea where we're going. We're, we're studying each week. We're looking at it. We've but we've also got to make sure we've got a really solid plan for. The next tier of players, and you, and you look at, you know, already we've lost two guys from from last year's squad at the end of year squad with George Power and Sydney Reese. You've got the likes of Etienne that's been knocked out of Super Rugby and won't be available in the Rugby Championship, and you know we're looking at the timelines for him going into World Cup. So it's about just looking at the next options and making sure that we're really clear about where we go to and. And overall, you know, there's some there's some there's some strong positions. But you know, we are seeing some players. You know, you look at nines. We've got some some nines really putting their hand up and and showing growth in their games, which is putting pressure on the guys that have been in the All Blacks. And that's exactly what we want. And so you've got to remember, we're going to you know we've got a, two squads to pick before the World Cup. We've got a damn squad of, of maybe 36 players instead of 33 for the World Cup and we've also got
2: a all-back 15 to two games in Japan so there's plenty to play for Yeah, there is uh, plenty to play for and I, it, as I go back to the point I was just uh, making before I just wonder how open-minded and how um, clean that uh, sheet of paper is going into uh, this particular year of course you cannot you cannot replace experience when it comes to World Cups and there are certain candidates they are probably not playing at their very best at the moment who probably will time it right. B. Barrett comes to mind there. Bowden Barrett, who's been there, won World Cups, um, has been on many campaigns and uh, knows full well exactly when he has to be at his peak. Uh, those are the kind of players you look at and make allowances for. But uh, those ones making noises. Um, of course, uh, Cam Roygaard, Berg, in a lot of people's thinking, to put pressure on the incumbent all-black uh, halfbacks. And uh, could not have been uh, doing too much more in, in his space anyway. So, uh, very interesting in terms of uh, those uh, extra positional needs um, that the All Black selectors are looking at. Uh, what about rule changes in a World
6: Cup Yeah, That's interesting. I, I want to touch on, you know, obviously these two squads coming in. But last time I spoke to you was on the breakdown and you were, you know, at a refs. What did you, a summit was it called up, up in the Northern Hemisphere? What? Was there any real clarity out of that and, and will some of those rules come into championship or is it more just World Cup?
5: Yeah, it was a, a post Six Nations uh, sort of alignment meeting where all the learners from the Six Nations, all the referees who are the larger referee group before it gets cut down to the 12 for the World Cup were there and and most, if not all, of the... the uh, head coaches involved in the world cup and we were just had two days just getting clarity on on rulings it wasn't a, there's nothing new coming in in fact ironically you know a couple of things happening in super rugby which have been trials um like the the defending number nine at, at scrum time how he he can't go round in super level well that'll be different and. In test matches, we've got to resort back to the rules, the world rules, which is how you can come around and disrupt. So that changes the way we we look at the defensive work off scrums, for example. So we're looking at one thing at Super level, but that's not going to apply at test level. So um, but one another experiment that Super Rugby's doing about the, the TMO and the hanging up to the TMO to make a decision that's caught a lot of interest, and there's mm-hmm. a lot of debate about that. And I think that's building momentum has been a a really good technique for the game to help us speed it up and and hopefully also just add another layer of improvement to that 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 decision before we give yellow and red cards. And I think that's had a positive effect on super level and hopefully it does go through to the international level.
3: What, what are the main differences in style that you've seen? You've been at a lot of these Super Rugby games. What's the differences in style from Super Rugby level to international World Cup play? And can we play the style that we've been seeing these teams play with?
5: Uh, yes, we can. And, you know, when you, when you go to Super level, there's definitely a focus on attack. There's a focus on, on speed of game and... And you know tidying up uh, keeping space those sidelines and getting rid of tacklers, all those little things and um and and I think that that we're seeing a a quicker product at super level right now but, and that suits us that suits us as an all back team, and I think that's great preparation for us the one of the challenges when you get to big test matches you often it often becomes harder to get some of that because teams are totally committed to slowing the game down and slowing down the time between line-outs and slowing scrum resets. and was line-out a little bit longer just because they, they know that the All Blacks want to play fast. So obviously our job is to try to stop them doing that. But secondly, we're also heavily reliant on officials to then take control of that. So it's just getting that balance of... Teams that like to slow us down and suffocate us And us wanting to speed up But we just cannot get frustrated When we, when we don't win that battle With
2: mm-hmm. the
5: ref and the opposition We've got to be good at playing that static set-piece game For periods of games If we have to
2: Yeah, interesting why we would um, Make a rule change or agree to a rule change In Super Rugby um, That uh, is such a crucial one Around that uh, defensive area For the nines At scrum time um, when it's, uh, and get used to that and play that well uh, and not be able to exploit that when it came to a, a World Cup as such or international rugby. So um, it was one to, uh, designed, I think, to tidy up things and make it more attractive and uh, for number eights to become more effective off the back, et cetera, uh, better clearances from scrum time. But, um, you know, getting used to that and reverting back um, might be an interesting point for a halfback and loose forward play. Um, I, I would also imagine I hope uh, that Ian Foster Had the opportunity to watch Ireland And uh, France play live At some stage, I'm not sure I've seen him in a few super games But you would imagine Ireland and France And, and watching it live as opposed to on television Would have been quite advantageous Leading into the World Cup Bearing in mind of course uh, France um, <clears throat> France is the first uh, Cab off the rank It's uh, the first mission isn't it um, And wh- what about um when you're an all-black coach, you're actually not hands-on for long, long periods of time. So uh, I would imagine it would be pretty hard, pretty hard to stay sharp as a coach in some areas.
3: Um, I saw this amazing story about your assistant coach Jason Ryan last week who went back to his club uh, in Sydenham and Christchurch. He's been testing a few things, he's been out on the park with them and he says he wants to make sure he's sharp and he's ready to go come All Black's time. How do you keep your skills sharp? Are there things that, that you're doing um, behind the scenes and, and are there other coaches around the world, other sports that you look at for inspiration as well?
5: Yeah, look, there's lots of uh, little things like that. And, you know, like it's like – look, it wasn't – I didn't see the story, but I heard about the story about Jace. I know how much he loves his club, but yeah. he's into that space. I know, you know, we've got all the coaches that are in and around the franchises at the moment, and um, and we've been sort of dissecting individuals and looking at their games. And so you actually – you're sharpening your coaching by – working with each other as a group and how we go about that and, and that's the primary way and then often, you know, I know Scott McLeod will drop into club rugby as well, you've you've got Fiki always in that space, you've got Joe Smith who's vastly experienced and, and he's a real analyst about how he goes about improving his coaching so it's all about sharing thoughts on games both here and in, in the European games to so, test what we're doing. So it's very much a, a period that you really grow your understanding the you game know, because you're not sort of doing it day-to-day on the training parks. We've got a chance to really dig deeper and make sure that we're really clear about what we're doing. So that's the primary thing. There's other things like, you know, when up in the Northern Hemisphere I was involved in a group of people involved with the NEOS group and we had a at the Mercedes <laughs> Factory, you know, talking to a lot of their high-performance people and the likes of Gareth Southgate, the English soccer coach, was there, and wow. to be an angel, and you and you ideas around, preparing athletes. When are they ready? How you go about stuff. So we, we get a, a privileged position that we can actually bounce ideas around with a, quite a range of people, which is um like I said, it's a privilege, but it's also great to be able to just be exposed to different thoughts.
2: Yeah, cool there. The the different thoughts too there of uh, Ian Foster, um, uh, all-black coach, of course, and Carolyn has just uh, come in uh, with a text and said, uh, Foster sounds much more relaxed and less defensive than he usually does. Obviously, having his all-black future sorted uh, must be a big weight off his shoulders. uh, Nice observation. In fact, um, uh, two guys to work with me, Logan and, and Brian, were basically intimating the same thing as well. So... Yeah, nice, nice to see him in a good space, actually. Um, and uh, it's such a, a crucial time in his coaching career. It's a relatively young man, and who knows what uh, beckons at the end of this year. If he's uh, the World Cup, all-black uh, all coach winning the World Cup, I would imagine he would uh, he might be heading to Japan to join the rest of them. It's uh, 11.21 here on SCNZ. We'll be back with the Sports Desk very shortly.
1: Turn up the volume. We're crossing live to the sports desk. What's fresh? What's making waves? Let's find out.
2: Yes, let's find out indeed, and uh, let's uh, get to that sports desk now where Logan Swinkle sits. We've already uh, covered the NHL, so I'm not much sure there's left on your agenda, is there?
6: <laughs> uh, there might be, but first I'm going to get to something a bit closer to your heart, Smithy. Uh, Fiannaud boss Arnie Slot is emerging as a serious contender alongside Julian Nugglesman to become Tottenham Hotspur's next head coach. Sources have told ESPN Slot has uh, guided Feyenoord to top spot in the Dutch league having lost just one league game all season as they aim to win their first title since 2017. Spurs are considering a number of candidates to replace Conte who was sacked on March 27 triggering a chaotic chain of events I kind of think that's kind of putting it lightly which saw his assistant Christian Stellini put an in interim charge ...before he was dismissed and replaced by Ryan Mason... ...following last month's 6-1 loss to Newcastle United. Slot is under contract at Feyenoord until 2025... ...but he has a clause in his deal... ...allowing him to join a Premier League club in 2024... ...meaning the Dutch club would be entitled to compensation... ...were he to leave. But nevertheless... Sources have told ESPN that he has previously attracted the attention of other English clubs, including Chelsea and West Ham United, and also according to those sources, Smithy, Spurs don't want to miss out on appointing a lesser well-known coach after rejecting Eric Ten Hag following uh, Jose Marino's departure from the club.
2: Well, they're own worst enemies at the moment. I mean, that's a complete and utter schmozzle, to be fair. It's it's just been awful. I'll tell you what's wrong with Spurs. They've got two um, two centre backs, two defenders who, honestly, you and I would beat down the straight in a hundred metres. They're so slow. They're so slow, Logan. They are pathetic, and uh, that is the reason why they're getting caught out early in games. They're not up to speed. Uh, they're getting beaten for pace early in the games. They find themselves, you know, three nil down uh, the other day to Liverpool after about fifteen minutes. Five nil down to Newcastle after 21 minutes. I mean, for God's sake... Get into the game, lads. Warm up, get those old legs going. That is the problem they've got. Having said that, I thought you were going to announce that those two candidates were going to coach the All-Whites, but there you go. We'll wait for another We'll wait another six months for that one. Moving on?
6: Yeah, we're still waiting for that one, Smithy. I'm now really looking forward to your analysis on the Spurs with McCarty tomorrow. Uh, moving over to the NBA, though, with Steve, Stephen Adams. This comes from a uh, good friend of the show, Mark Hinton, stuff. Stephen Adams' long shot prospects of suiting up for the Tall Blacks at the World Cup have all but with confirmation from the Memphis Grizzlies that they expect him back on court at the start of the next NBA season following a summer of rehabilitation. There had been high hopes that the 29-year-old Q Senna would finally end uh, his self-imposed international exile in 2023 and join New Zealand at the FIBA World Cup that gets underway this August through to September with discussions as positive as they have ever been in any stage in his career. Uh, having recently spoke with Basketball New Zealand myself, Smithy, I would echo those sentiments, although they were being pretty tight-lipped about what that might mean, but Memphis General Manager and President of Basketball Operations, Zach Kleiman, told media that Adams was not expected to have off-season surgery on his knee and that a full rehab plan was in place from over that summer. The target is for uh, Stephen to return at the beginning of next season, and that's the hope for everyone going into this off-season, said Kleiman. Adams had originally meant a uh, timetable to return back in March following his uh, injury that came uh, in January. But he's had continual setbacks that's seen him uh, unable to contribute to the postseason smithy. Uh, and it sounds like with that all, it seals uh, Stephen Adams' fate for the NBA offseason. I still maintain personally, though, that I think the time for uh, Stephen Adams to come play for the Blacks is if New Zealand qualify for the Paris Olympics. I reckon that's that's when he'll do it.
2: Yeah, I think so. Uh, I think that um, when he makes his cameo. I didn't think... I don't I'll hold out any any uh, aspirations for him to being available this time around, Logan, to be fair, and I thought they've been pretty cagey, actually. For, they've left a long, long time to make the announcement about no surgery and just a rehab program over the break, so uh, it's been an interesting story about him.
6: And just lastly, if you thought I was done with uh, NHL news, uh, you're wrong. I've got a little juicy one here for you, Smithy. You know, uh, Ryan Reynolds... Uh, has been in talks of, you know, you've seen the success with Rexham AFC. He has also been a Canadian, loves his ice hockey, and has hinted at the idea of buying or being a part of a consortium to buy the Ottawa Senators. But he's not alone. This coming from The Athletic this morning uh, via Ian Mendes. The Athletic have learned that Snoop Dogg, is putting in a bid. He's aligned himself with the bid fronted by LA-based entrepreneur Nico Sparks and sources with knowledge of the Sparks bid who are not authorised to speak publicly on the matter confirm that the iconic hip-hop artist has joined forces in an aggressive pursuit of the Ottawa Senators franchise. That would be unreal. Snoop Dogg owning an NHL team.
2: My God. What next? What next? I'd stick with Wrexham if I was you, um, Ryan. i just stick with Wrexham. That's been a story. It's been. It's all over the place on Disney. It's everywhere, the story of Wrexham. Um, Ryan, done a great job there. Right, so we've got to get to, to the news. Thanks for that, Logan, uh, in terms of the sports desk. Uh, we shall get to the news with Araha, and then she'll race across to the studio, the other studio, and we'll have some Ag Insights, of course, because it is Tuesday at 11.30.
1: The very latest in rural news
2: This is Ag
1: Insights
0: On Mornings with Ian Smith Collier's Rural and Agribusiness Licence REAA 2008
2: Morena aroha It's wonderful to talk to you again On uh, this uh, Tuesday uh, The 2nd of May um, With uh, your Ag Insights And uh, I'm beginning with uh, a subject Which is very close to my heart of course Which is Hawke's biological clock because it is ticking, it's, uh, the effects of Cyclone Gabriel um, on our hort industry around here have been massive, you only have to drive uh, not too far from uh, where I sit right now um, to get the impact of that, so um, not good, not good araha.
9: So you're still confronted with it on a daily basis, smithy you out your window.
2: Well, uh, you know, I'll be honest with you, I haven't, uh, since the cyclone, I've not even driven as far as Napier, I don't have to, mm. um, some uh, some people, I live in Havelock, which is 20 minutes away, I've gone as far as uh, um, the expressway and turned around and come back again, I've seen all I needed to see and mm. I'd just be getting in the way, uh, especially initially, so um, one day I'll get uh, through and perhaps drive through that uh, S Valley area, but uh, at this stage, um, I, I can hear the stories, and I've, I've they probably prefer you not lot, to be doing a yeah.
9: drive-through, too, right? They probably don't need visitors coming out and, and having a look no. around. And I think that's one of the things that might be hard in the recovery process: is that as soon as it's not seen, it sort of falls off the immediacy radar. And I was looking at an article from staff that talked about Gabriel striking at one of the worst possible times for most growers, just prior to the harvest, when growers had already sunk all their input costs into the crop for the year. So that already puts them in the red and then they're facing an up to five to seven year planting and restoration period before the farms and orchards could be back fully earning again. So I guess it comes down to how well the government responds and whether the long-term response will help with the recovery process rather than hinder.
2: Yeah, uh, some of them will never recover. Um, God knows what they're going to do with that, that land. Araha. to be honest.
9: I'm prefer- I'm trying not to think of that part at this point. I'll be led by the specialists in the field, and I, I kind of have to put some positive... Stay optimistic, because if, if we mm. don't keep some optimism around for people who are in the recovery process, it must be so hard for them to wake up every morning and keep tilling, you know, keep moving.
2: It must, must be very, very hard for them, and uh, a lot of them are going to have to have uh, some very understanding financiers I can promise oh, you that yeah. in the business sector um speaking of finances speaking of prices so uh, some analysts uh, are saying things are looking up for dairy prices this, next next season next season i hate I'm to
9: crossing fingers toes and hooves the futures market's betting on whole milk powder prices to rise at the global dairy trade auction this week. At the last GDT auction two weeks ago, the headline price index jumped 3.2%. That came on the back of four consecutive declines. So the average price for whole milk powder gaining 1% at the last auction and the futures markets picking a further one5 gain at the auction overnight as supply could be dwindling while the demand still holds up. So that's good news.
2: That is good news. Uh, and uh, just finally um, on this morning's edition of uh, Ag Insights, WorkSafe are telling us uh, this is a this is a troubling one for me. It really is, uh, especially when I see children involved. Work WorkSafe are telling us uh, old farmers, older farmers, and children are involved in more farm accidents than any other age group. It's
9: I had to go and pull the numbers because I like to have. Sometimes I can be quite lineal and I need to have the evidence in front of me. So when I grabbed the numbers, the WorkSafe data showed retirement age people. It sounds a bit ageist. I can't think of any other language that puts it better. Retirement age people were getting injured more often and children on farms also needed greater supervision. So the figures showed farmers aged 65 or older in the biggest group of claimants. That's compared to, so they were more than half the number of the total complainants, So about 3,500 claimants were 65 and older, sorry, just under half, just under half of total claimants with the total numbers at around 7,500 for 25 right through to 60. So that's a massive number for such as what I would expect a small group of people. WorkSafe was also pointing out that children needed more supervision and a lot of farmers didn't understand that children Doing work on a farm need to be treated exactly the same way as a worker. So there's some info for you today.
2: Well, here's a for instance, and uh, Greg Peters, who was the uh, inspectorate manager for uh, Worksafe for Hamilton and uh, New Plymouth, has said has said there's a there is a major difference between, and this is an interesting one for me, when a farmer's child uh, rides a motor a motocross bike across a paddock for fun, uh, and when the same child uses the bike. Round up cows. You ever thought of it that way? Yeah,
9: recreation versus um, pay me, Dad. Don't thank me. Mm. But That's more supervision. So how do you yeah. super? So how do you manage that on a farm, I guess, is what uh, WorkSafe is trying to point out. And the number of injuries. I mean, I look at, you know, my dad's 85, uh, 86, a couple of weeks ago. Sorry, mm-hmm. Dad, I, I did remember your birthday. <laughs> I've just mm-hmm. outed myself on here. 86, and he's still working. Um and so that puts him into that bracket in terms of the work age, but different industry. And he's never injuring himself. Mind you, I guess he's lucky to still be standing. There you go.
2: They had different practices back in the day when he was learning his craft. Though I'm in the same boat. I've got a father-in-law who's uh, mid-80s himself. Um, and, you know, he's, they're different. I mean, technology has changed so much now. Mm. Um, the old man's know, they, pretty they, particular.
9: He was so yeah, work safety oh. conscious. Everything was done with so much patience and care. Whereas I'm so gung ho. I just rush into everything. Any, any, what is it? You have to use the right tool for the job. The right tool is always a hammer, and any tool can be used as a hammer.
2: So he's he's um, particular to the point of being grumpy, and <laughs> um, and oh, and yeah, uh, I, grumpy. And what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, grumpy and bossy. Grumpy and bossy like uh, yeah. my father-in-law, Barney Strong, who's uh, farming out uh, on Waihaha Road out the back of the Tehoy because he is exceptionally grumpy at times <laughs> and exceptionally bossy and a very hard man to please. Does your father f- fit into that bracket?
9: He's a lovely man, just like Barney. Dad's... <laughs> And Dad's so meticulous that the tools on the wall are all outlined in black marker and everything has to be in the right space that's been outlined in black marker and go back exactly immediately, has to be put back immediately onto the right place. Never leave a tool lying around.
2: Well, that's the difference between your father and Barney Strong. The fact of the matter is his belief is that the people using the implements are the tools. And that's the problem. <laughs> uh, thank you very much. Uh, thank you very much uh, uh, for thank this you. week's edition. On that note, I think we'll finish up here with our Ag Insights.
0: Bring your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of
1: sport in our Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ.
2: We've been talking a bit this morning too uh, about uh, do we give enough recognition to our athletes uh, overseas and that is um, on the back of a wonderful morning yesterday where uh, Stephen Elker won of course on the Champions Tour uh, for very very special reasons as well, very emotive reasons and of course Scott McLaughlin uh, getting up to win in Alabama which was outstanding, propels him up the the list in terms of um, the IndyCar Championship this year as well so um, and there was an article or two on uh, stuff, uh, but do we really give them um, the acknowledgement that we do it, particularly at times of, I guess, the Halbergs? Uh, where do they fit in there? Uh, Steve has come in and said, Morning, Smithy. I love all the chat on our high-performance uh, sport people around the world. We seem to spend a lot of time discussing a uh, mid-table team like the Warriors when there could be more interesting discussions about an array of other athletes performing at a high level yeah you're right uh steve one of the reasons why we uh, we focus on that uh, is the time zone sort of thing um and it's very hard it's, it's quite easy for us or i wish it was easier at times in rugby but in the league in particular because we have an arrangement um, a partnership sort of with uh, the one new zealand warriors it's easy to get to people from there players um, the coaches etc rugby's a little bit tougher um, do not know why um but it is uh, when they need, uh, you know, we're the only sports station in New Zealand, and um, they need as much good exposure as they can get. Um, and uh, I think that's one of the reasons because we can only we can only comment as opposed to back it up with interviews or such like that. But uh, I get your point, and so that's why I'm so happy that we were able to um, get uh, Caleb Hatch out of um, out of Indiana, and of course on the motor racing, and of course uh, Stephen Elker himself, who's always been very good to us here on SENZ. Um, Jim from Temuka. G'day, Jim. Uh, Scott Dixon, a forgotten champion out of sight of New Zealand's uh, officials and award systems, a role model in the highest order and soon to be inducted into uh race hall of fame. Uh, he's already in one. Uh, as soon as he uh, has qualified. Uh, Will this win him a Halberg? Yeah, nah. Uh, says uh, Jim. Uh, sums that up uh, quite beautifully. So, um, yeah, that's uh, pretty much your reaction uh, this morning from... From that to I, I just think uh, we don't pay them enough attention. We don't, and uh, we had a cross section of sports this morning, didn't we? Um, and including eventing. Um, what about Paul Cole, Joel King? Uh, we we give them mentions uh, from time to time, but uh, performing so well for us on uh, the overseas situation. There was the the young speedway rider or motocross rider, and uh, Courtney Duncan over the years. Uh, so uh, you know we've we try as 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 much as we can to give them the attention but in general um i think they're neglected neglected too much but it's coming up to 11:52. Uh, we shall have a chance to uh, catch up with the one the only mark stafford who had a very very interesting show yesterday uh starting off with uh, a lot of emotion and then going through to ryan fox uh, live in the studio Steffy next